In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. And today we're joined by Maya Prabhu, AJC Statehouse correspondent who has been covering hate crimes debate in Georgia since she arrived here just a couple of years ago. Uh, Maya, uh, what, what, a, what a week this has been in that debate. Yeah, it has been um, a lot of fits and starts and excitement and despair, and um, it it ended with the passage of a hate crimes bill. Yeah, and, and let's be clear. I mean, this this is one of those, um, there's, this is a piece of legislation that would not have happened without the protests around the state and around the nation over racial justice and equality. Um, this, is, this is a measure that really seemed to have no traction at all in the Georgia Senate when, when lawmakers broke for a coronavirus-related hiatus a few months ago. And then since then, with the, the death of Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, and, and, and the sort of racial reckoning um, around, the, around the nation, uh, advocates put this in the forefront and um, got it done. This passed the House last March, and in the Senate, during the floor debate on Tuesday, there was there were several people who spoke about how it wasn't until the, the recent images and videos of oftentimes Black men unarmed being killed by white men um, that they thought that that this was really a problem that needed to be addressed. Before that, they said crimes are crimes. They shouldn't be treated differently. And seeing the those images and the reaction to those images around the country and the world even um, really made them decide that now was the time they needed to act. Yeah, let's rewind a bit too, because this is legislation that first passed in the year 2000 when, when Democrats controlled the statehouse. Um, and it was very, it was drafted very differently than than the version we see today, and then it was struck down by the state supreme court in two thousand and four for being unconstitutionally vague. And since then, uh, it's been the definition of a perennial debate in Georgia, and often a debate that went nowhere. Um, it would be sponsored by various lawmakers, usually Democrats, but sometimes Republicans, and would just either you know not even get a hearing uh, or a vote in a committee, or occasionally pass one chamber, not the other. Um, but lately, it's been a coalition of suburban Republicans and Democrats who have banded together uh, to, to champion this legislation. And it came to a head, as you mentioned, last year when the Georgia House narrowly passed the version of the bill with this full-fledged support of Speaker David Ralston 
and Republican Chuck Efstration, a Gwinnett Republican, um, who really took took this legislation under his wing and um, and worked with Democrats to get it this far. <clears throat> yeah, you know, it, it narrowly passed the House last year after, like you said, several years of being introduced, maybe getting a hearing, maybe getting out of committee, maybe passing one chamber, but then just kind of you know, sputtering out. And so this year, um, after the um, death, the the killing of Ahmaud Arbery went viral, essentially, um, David Ralston really upped the pressure on the Senate to act. Because even in January, when we started talking about the beginning of the legislative session, I spoke with Lieutenant Governor about hate crimes, and he said he didn't have a position on it in January. So like you said, it, it really is all spurred by um, all of these protests that have been the result of killings of unarmed Black men. Yeah. And not only did the lieutenant governor not have a position on it earlier this year, but um, as you reported last year, it was just bottled up in the state Senate. I mean, didn't get a hearing, uh, didn't, certainly didn't get a, did a vote in a, in a committee. And the chairman, Jesse Stone, um, told told us, both of us, in separate interviews, essentially that he had philosophical concerns with the legislation, that, that he, he felt like it treated people differently and that judges could abuse it and it could restrict First Amendment rights. A lot of the things we've heard over the years as, as being a barrier uh, to this passing. Um, but he certainly changed his tune as well. He gave one of the more uh, emotional testimonies um, on the Senate floor the other day in support of the bill. And he essentially said, he, he's, he, he was very blunt about it. He goes, the reason why it never got a vote in the committee last year is because it would not have passed. It, it, it took this tragic incident, this tragic death and, and, and the graphic video um, that, that led to this sort of uh, reckoning um, to get this far is what he said. Yeah. And, and, you know, he even went so far as to say, you know, to make this issue real for my Republican brethren, um, to believe that it was something that Georgia needed to have in place, these protections for um, certain classes of people. Yeah, and it, but it was still not an easy vote um, that we saw that just a few days ago. And let's go through, because you've been following every twist and turn. And since lawmakers returned to session about 10 days ago, um, the speaker said, pass the House version of the bill. That's the version that, that, that already narrowly passed the House. It included um, sexual orientation as protected class under hate crimes for the first time in, in Georgia history. And it also included race and gender and, and age and, and other um, uh, factors that, that w- was in the previous versions of the law. Um, but, the, but the Senate had a different idea. And we were all anxiously awaiting Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan's proposal. Um, and he unveiled it a few days ago. And it, it had some very different, uh, a very different vision of how this law would play out. Yeah, his um, his proposal included a very expanded list of protected classes, um, you know, including um, culture and um, uh, freedom of speech as a as a protected class. Um, it included data collection, data tracking for hate crimes, and it included a way for victims of hate crimes to sue in court. Um, And those were pieces that we hadn't seen, um, at least in recent years, 
when any of these other hate crimes bills had been introduced. Yeah, and it really led to some uh, shaky um, shaky numbers for, for, for Republicans to try to get this passed. Almost instantly, we heard from Democrats saying that uh, they had major problems with the bill, particularly, as you mentioned, the use of the word culture. Um, as a protected class, because there was worries that it could re- reignite a religious liberty debate in Georgia, which we've seen so many times play out. And also that, you know, culture is such a um, a vague word, you know, in, in terms of legal definitions, that anyone could be cited as it, it could be very easily cited in a court of law um, that so-and-so was being attacked for because of his or her culture. So it led to some major concerns. And pretty quickly, we saw um, that version of the law completely abandoned, <laughs> in a sense. And a few days later, you covered uh, the the next version of the law. W- what happened then? So the next version of the law, it went back to the original House bill, but it inserted protections for police and first responders, so police, um, medics, and firefighters. And that... <laughs> caused a bit of an uproar, especially with Democrats and other folks who had supported hate crime legislation for all of these years. There, you know, during the hearing, there was a very um, testy, I think is the word that uh, Senator Kauser used um, when he was presenting his, you know, this version of the legislation between Senator Kauser and Senator uh, Senator Bill Kauser and Senator Harold Jones, a Democrat, um, where he's saying, you know, the reason that hate crimes laws, you know, the reason that you're saying we need to be here is because you watched videos of white police oftentimes harming Black people. Mm-hmm. And yet you want to insert police into this same bill that we are supposed to be protecting you know, vulnerable citizens. Um, and it was, it was a very, uh, very heated, very emotional, um, afternoon of, of conversation. And, and I don't know, I don't think it was purposeful, but the timing made it worse because it happened on Juneteenth, the holiday celebrating the emancipation of, of, of black slaves in, in America. And it was at a time, of course, fraught with, with emotion. And you're, you're hearing from major companies, uh, including our, our company overlords, Cox communication. It was celebrating it as a holiday for the first time ever. Um, and, uh, cities and counties had also declared Juneteenth a holiday this year, um, in honor of, of the movements spreading around the nation. And so Democrats couldn't help but connect the dots of, at one point, at the same time of, of Juneteenth, and lawmakers were celebrating and, and honoring and reflecting on Juneteenth. Um, this provision and this legislation was inserted that really infuriated them. And I saw some some of the um, some of the uh, strongest rhetoric from Democrats I'd seen in a, in a long time, which is saying a lot. Uh, is furious about this provision in this legislation. Yeah, and you know, a m- member Democratic members spoke with me saying that the inclusion of this. Um, police uh, protection was just a way they felt as though, you know, on Juneteenth, like you said, was just a way to kind of, um, I'm trying to think of the right word because they cussed, Um, was just a way to- (laughs) You can curse. (laughs) Okay. You know, so what was said to me by Democrats um, about the inclusion of this police provision on Juneteenth was 
what they felt was Republicans' way of essentially, in their words, shitting on the Black Lives Matter movement and protests that were happening around the state because a lot of conservative um, lawmakers and people say like, yes, the deaths of these um, Black people and people of color are awful, but they also shouldn't be rioting in the streets and um, looting businesses. So, you know, Democrats were were really mad that they just felt that this was kind of like a thumb in the eye. Um, yeah, we're going to pass hate crimes, but we're also going to protect police at the same time. So the first version that the Senate came forth was this sort of effort from Lieutenant Governor Duncan to to forge his own path. Um, and of course, it came with a lot of different co- compromises and, and discussions. So it's not like he just plopped it out there, but it didn't go anywhere. The second version was was an attempt to get Republicans on board while alienating Democrats. And the third version, the one that actually ended up passing, um, essentially was much the same as the House version, which is with a few additions. And that one was enough to get bipartisan support. Can you talk about the ins and outs of what ended up passing in the Senate and the House? Yeah. So this bill um, ended up with, you know, all of the, they took police protections out and they had all of the same protected classes, race, color, religion, national origin, sex, sexual orientation, gender, mental, physical disability. They they did change it because it was any misdemeanor or felony. So they changed it so that only certain misdemeanors, um, that five, simple assault, simple battery, battery, chem- criminal trespass, and misdemeanor theft, um, and then any felony. Uh, if is uh is committed and it's motivated by hate against one of these groups is considered um a hate crime and they get an additional penalty of um 6 to 12 months and up to a $5,000 fine for a fe- for a misdemeanor and at least 2 years in prison and up to $5,000 fine in for a felony and then it did include the piece from the lieutenant governor for mandated data collection so that they can track mm-hmm. where and how and to whom these um, crimes are happening. Yeah, we shouldn't downplay that because that's that's something that we've heard law enforcement um, officials support. We've heard Democrats and Republicans support that. Um, as some some sort of as long as it's you know, uh, as they say that the, the the main concern is that it only actually attracts people who are tra- convicted of the crime, not just accused of it. Um, but that's a, that's a major component. And but there's also another part of the compromise involving a new separate legislation um, that still infuriated um, Democrats and and barely passed the Georgia House. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when they removed the police protections from this um, House Bill 426, the hate crimes bill, they placed it in another bill um, in which they created a new offense called bias motivated intimidation of a first responder. And that's, again, police um, fire and, um, you know, emergency Mm -hmm. medics. And so if someone, uh, commits a crime of, of death or serious bodily harm or property damage of more than $500, they are, they can be charged with bias motivated intimidation and face between at least one and no more than five years of prison and up to $5,000, um, fine. Another piece is that police can sue if someone knowingly files a false complaint against them, um, which is, you know, 
also a huge concern for a lot of Democrats that I spoke with after the bill was passed. And, you know, so this was what they had, what, what they felt they had to do to get Republicans to support um, the hate crimes bill. They had to have, they had to say that they were still protecting police. Cause you and I spoke, I, I said I was I was skeptical that they would be able to remove the police protections from the hate crimes bill because I don't know what Republican would want to be on the record saying I'm okay with not protect not having additional protections for the police. And so the way to kind of uh, get around that is to pass this this other bill and Democrats in the Senate said, okay, that's fine. You know, we're not going to vote for it. We're telling you now we're not going to vote for it. We can whatever, get it across the hall, send it to the house and it'll die in the house. And lo and behold, it seems as though the conversations in leadership were that both bills had to pass in in order for either bill to pass. Yeah, that was clearly the, the deal they struck. Um, right. And you see this really complicated gamesmanship near the end of these sessions, right? Yes. Yeah, definitely. You know, there were rumors on the day of the Senate debate that there were going to be that, you know, we were going to be slammed with amendments to drag out debate on hate crimes um, from people who were upset about the compromise that was made that ended up being um, squashed. uh, And they actually engrossed the bill, which meant that no one could amend the bill from the floor. Um, which is a big deal. We we were sitting near each other in the Senate, socially distanced, of course. of course, but sitting near each other. And I remember you mouthed to me like something to the effect of "Holy crap!" Maybe not. <laughs> I pulled crap. my mask down and looked <laughs> but, at you and said, "Wow." <laughs> I was I was I mean, and it, yeah, and it, it was a big moment. It barely passed. You know, the engrossment barely passed, but it, but it did. Yeah, yeah, and and you're right that 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 ended a slew of amendments that could have made it a lot harder for something. Um, Something like this, like the version that we saw end up passing out, pass out. Then it ends up going, but the main hate crimes bill ends up going to the House where it passed by a 90, with 96 votes last year. Um, we knew there'd be a bigger vote margin in the House, but man, it got another 31 votes that it didn't have last year. Um, and we analyzed some of those 31, and most of them come from um, not exactly the places you expect. Most suburban Republicans already supported it. Um, last year. So the new 31 votes came from small swing districts, small town swing districts, exurban areas, some rural areas. Um, So it seems like that reckoning uh, that we've been talking about has hit at least some Republicans as well to the the point where they felt like um, this needed to be passed. And I, I talked to a few of them who essentially, some said that the tracking requirement was important to them. Some said that the companion bill that you just mentioned was was the part that was really important to them. Um, but either way, Georgia is now not one of the, for the longest time we've been writing that only four states don't have this this legislation. Soon we'll be able to say three because Governor Kemp has pretty much uh, promised to sign it. He said after a, a, a legal review, which is customary uh, with all legislation, he plans to sign the legislation. So as long as there's not some hidden <laughs> hidden time bomb um, somewhere in the in, in the language um, that he can't clear up, he'll be signing it. I, I don't know if you've spoken with his office about 838. I know that the pre- there's there's going to be pressure from, you know, groups who supported hate crimes for him not to sign 838. I don't see that happening. But um, 
that's their, that's their, they've, you know, it's like while they celebrated on one hand, they kind of bared down to continue the fight because they just feel like 838 is a really bad bill. Yeah. And he's, he is, um, I will be, I'll put it this way. I'll be stunned if he does not sign 838. Um, <laughs> uh, Stacey Abrams Same. group is among the fair fight action is among the groups that have urged him to veto the legislation. Um, it, it, but it seems like, uh, it seems like we're going to have a, in, on one hand, a celebration with uh, with with the mother of Ahmad Arbery who wants to be on hand when he signs the bill, which will be definitely a very emotional mo- moment. And my bet is he'll sign it. Um, and again, I, I'm just guessing here. I have talked with his office, but they haven't given me a timeline. Um, but my my bet, he's under a lot of pressure to sign it before July 1st because if he signs it before July 1st, it goes into effect July 1st. If he doesn't, if he signs it after that date. It doesn't take effect till January. So um, there is a little bit of a time crunch in terms of effective date here. Um, so my my bet is he will sign it before July 1st, but we'll see. Um, and then I think there'll be a separate signing ceremony down the road for 8, 838, the other, the more controversial measure, um, probably with law enforcement on hand um, to, to, uh, to celebrate that signing. Or I don't know if the word celebrate, but to, to mar- mark that signing um, as well, because that's an important piece of legislation for not only camp space, but also for law enforcement who, who had been quietly advocating um, for these protections on their end. So what a dramatic week, though. Um, and it's not over yet. We're, we're, we're recording this before Signy Die, so a lot more will happen. But we wanted to make sure we got a special podcast um, on, on this uh, landmark legislation, really, that, that has been 16 years in the making and took a lot of, took a lot of negotiating, took a lot of gamesmanship in the House and the Senate. And as you've noted, um, uh, you know, took, a, took an alliance between Harold Jones, a Democrat from uh, Augusta, and Bill Kausert, a former Senate leader who, who's now a rank-and-file state senator, a Republican from Athens, who got together and, and helped hash out the, the final language in the Senate, at least, with Jeff Duncan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they... They came together after, you know, after having that very tense exchange to the point where, you know, Jesse Stone had to say, you you guys can't interrupt each other. You know, it was it was heated um, to the point where after the hearing and I talked to, to Harold Jones and, and I was like, Do you, does it bother you that I keep highlighting this? But, you know, just to 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 point out how emotional it was for supporters of this bill you know, after the hearing in the in the press scrum, when Harold Jones spoke with us, he could barely speak because he was fighting back tears. He was so emotional after the committee passed that bill. He was so frustrated and upset with with how things went. Um, and then that was Friday. I guess they shook it off. They came in over the weekend and put their heads down and put their heads together. And they said, you know, I think at the end of the day, both of them did want to pass something. Um, that was meaningful. And so they put their heads down, they got together and they, they apparently made it happen. Yeah. And we shouldn't forget just because it happened last year, we shouldn't downplay that the same thing happened on the house side, uh, not nearly as fraught or, or, or tense, but Calvin Smyrie, the Dean of the state legislature, who's longest serving member of, of the general assembly, um, helped basically forge an alliance with Chuck Efstration, Republican from Gwinnett County, um, to, to, and Speaker David Ralston, who, who, who'd been, you know, a vocal advocate of this bill, to get that bill through the House in the first place, the reason why we're even talking about this. And that was not an easy, an easy uh, load to bear for either of the, any of those men either. I mean, very tough opposition in the House um, 
in, in, in among the couple dozen or so people who still voted for against it um, this week, uh, they brought up the same concerns. They and, and there was even rumors the House Democrats, this is how kind of nutty it got, House Democrats had to send a text to all their members saying, don't believe the rumors that six people just got, got uh, contracted COVID. Uh, we fear that people are trying to get us out of the legislature so we won't have a quorum. Um, obviously, that that those rumors were unfounded and that didn't happen. Um, but that that just gives you a sense of the of the tense nature of these debates and and the atmosphere in a in a, in a, in a pandemic restricted capital where people were you know very uh, on 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 tenor hooks. They're on pins and needles a lot of the day. And and just thinking about you know when you talked about last year covering the that floor debate in the House last year where several um, Republican lawmakers stood up and spoke very vocally against the passage of, of that bill. And then you come around to this year and you really only had one person in the House and one person in the Senate say anything disparaging about the passage of the bill. Obviously more than that voted against it. But I I, I think many of them recognized kind of the the atmosphere and the importance of what they were trying to do. And they said, you know, I don't support it. I'm not going to vote for it, but there's no need for me to get up there and, you know, disparage this bill right now. Yeah, you could say they they read the room. Um, and before be- before you go, I want to you, you had a really you mentioned Harold Jones fighting back tears. And you had a tweet the other day that he was not the only um, African-American lawmaker that you saw who was visibly struggling with his emotions over 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 this measure. Yeah. You know, on Saturday, the day after the Senate committee approved the legislation with the police protections in it, um, Senator David Lucas, a Democrat from Macon. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Yes, <laughs> Democrat from Macon, um, you know, took to the well and spoke very passionately about the need for hate crime legislation without police protections in it. And he talked at length about, you know, Rayshard Brooks, mm-hmm. about other, you know, George Floyd, other instances where we've seen videos of police harming and often killing black men. And, you know, there's a point where he says, do you know what it's like to be like this? And he holds out the back of his hand and, and he's, he pauses to fight tears. Senator, uh, Nakima Williams is in the back and she's like, no, they don't know. You know, she yells out from her seat. No, they don't know. And I heard from now that we're up in the gallery, we can't see, but I heard that she actually had to get up and leave the room because she was also crying. And then fast forward to um, the press conference that um, Speaker Ralston held after the bill was approved by everyone. Uh, You have Calvin Smyrie, who, you know, his tears were different. He's like, I've been here 46 years. Um, This is, you know, I've had many moments, but this is the finest. And he's, you know, pauses and, and, you know, you can hear it in his throat and he has to fight tears as well. So it was just a very emotional um, day, not only for, you know, supporters of the legislation, but I would say specifically for um, Black lawmakers and, you know, our five LGBT lawmakers that we have in in the legislature. And I'll add to um, 
for, for, for religious minorities, too, this has been something that, that Jewish groups, Muslim groups, and, and other religious mm-hmm. minority groups have been pushing um, really since 2004 as well. And this is the finest. That's the quote from Calvin Smyre that you put in your headline. And, and I did. Th- thank you for, for capturing this moment for our readers and for our listeners for us. Um, we know there's still so much more to, to talk about uh, over the next few days as we get through the rest of this weird, strange, bizarre, um, and yes. really dramatic session. But we yes. really appreciate you joining us, Maya. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.